Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone. This is Bill Roden on a special, well, I guess it's not a special edition of Bill Roden on Sports. This is Monday, right? Stormy Monday. Right. And uh, we're here with uh, my co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Jamal. Good to be here. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. And uh, uh, Seth. Hello, Seth Nyman. Hello, gentlemen. Happy holidays. Yes, and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, on the phone, man, we've got, uh, we've got a, um, a guy whose talent I really, 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 really respect. Uh, he's a great, young, and talented reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Chris Herring. Chris, hey, Merry Christmas. How are you? Merry Christmas to you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Hi, Bill. Oh, man, it's really been great, man. You know, um, uh, it's just really nice to connect. Jamal has been raving about you. I said, man, I know the brother. But Jamal has been raving about <laughs> you because, you know, he, he loves all things Knicks. Uh, and sort of. Yeah, you know, all things Knicks. So we want to, I, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Number one, this does not let you off the hook for being in the studio. All right. I just wanted to be clear about that. You still got to come to the studio, okay? Agreed. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I, we were going to have Chris in Wednesday, but of course, you know, you put me in charge of scheduling, man, at your own peril. So Seriously. <laughs> so I realized I got to be down at the uh, championship game, well, the semifinal game down in Miami. Uh, Clemson, Clemson and Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Uh, and I said, damn, man, but I want to talk all things with Chris. And first we were just going to talk the Knicks, but then uh, Meadowlark Lemon passed away. Uh, yesterday, and uh, I want to get Chris on to talk. I, I, I mean, I realize um, Chris is, is is a little too young to remember Meadowlark. I mean, he's sort of my generation, which is a good news and a bad news. I said, Wait a minute, how old was he? Shit? <laughs> but but you know, Meadowlark, man. And, and, you know, Chris and I spoke before, and, and again, Chris covers the New York Knicks and the NBA for the Wall Street Journal. And one of the things that I, Chris and I were talking about a little earlier was. That um, you know, when I was coming up and watching the Globetrotters, that was considered showboating. What they were doing was considered showboating. But it was at a time when uh, black uh, basketball players were not being allowed into the NBA in any significant numbers. There were quota systems, you know, one, two. So, but what they were doing, you had all these incredible people. Even Will Chamberlain played there. But what they were doing then is what the NBA is now. You know the what they call showboating. Then, if you can't do that kind of stuff now, you know between the legs, that kind of stuff um, is what the NBA now the show, the whole showmanship. That's what. Remember, the, the Lakers were called Showtime. Right. Right. You know, so it's just so funny. So I just wanted to have you talk uh, about. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, but just um, again, Chris, I know you didn't know. Uh, metal art, but like most journalists, you're a quick study. <laughs> so, so you know, you know. So, um, uh, you know, just a little bit about what you found out uh, about metal art and how that kind of connects is in what you see every single day in the NBA, including the ungratefulness of a lot of you who don't even know <laughs> this kind of stuff. But, but just sort of just make the connection. Well, I, I think you know the one thing I can relate with, I guess, when I was coming up as a, a teenager and, and really starting to pay more attention to basketball, um, certain things that people of my generation enjoyed um, before maybe they were ever introduced fully to the NBA was uh, streetball. And, you know, living in New York for the last seven years, uh, you see people have a great appreciation for that, and I've, I've done reporting on that sort of thing. And you, you saw the whole AN1 circuit for a while that was incredibly, incredibly popular with people my age. Um, and a couple of those guys were able to make it into the NBA. And so one thing when I read up on Metal Lark Lemon is that, you know, he was asked about that several times and not getting to play against some of those guys. And he says, well, I think I was just as good, if not better, than a lot of those people. And I, you know, I saw one really interesting comparison he made just to the ice capades and, you know, how you would always have right. uh, kind of like a clown character come out. And he was saying, you know, the clown was the best skater of them all. And that's kind of how he carried himself and thought of himself as being maybe the the best or most talented player despite never having played you know technically at the highest level and so that's what I guess I got to see 
you know, every once in a while you'd see certain guys who would make it from the N one circuit and actually get a chance to play at the NBA level. And, um, you know, and, and those guys are so much fun to watch. And the truth is, the players that we enjoy the most now, you know, you think about guys like Jason Williams, you think about Rob Strickland, and, you know, you just think about certain guys, Steph Curry, for instance. I mean, right. would have fit right. perfectly in that sort of era. You know, they, they have fundamentals down, but they can do certain types of tricks. You see John Wall and Chris Paul kind of yo-yo the ball nowadays. And these are the sorts of things that we saw people – you know, in that era doing with the Globetrotters. And I, I remember seeing the Globetrotters as a kid and um, just kind of being amazed at some of the things they do, uh, some of which are tricks, but some of which is just great skill and a lot of practice. And apparently Metal Luck Lemon just, to, you know, could take almost half-court hook shots and make them look normal like their layups. And uh, that's not something that people can just do. And uh, so while it's skill and, and talent, uh, it's also a lot of hard work and, um, you know, he deserves a, a ton of credit for that and popularizing a really popular group to begin with and maybe taking it to new heights. And, and I think, too, um, I, again, what always, I, I remember speaking with uh, Cool Papa Bell, the uh, great base stealer from the Negro Leagues, sure. um, just before he died. And the, the, the thing, you know, we always say, people say, oh, you were ahead of your time. Because, again, you had a, a group of people, a group of black men, black athletes, who were as good and better than a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people who were playing, but because of the law, you know, because of the law, not because of anything other, other just the law and quotas and racism, they couldn't play. And to me, whenever, it's sort of energizing to me. Cooper Bell was not bitter. You know, he wasn't bitter. He said, well, I wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't, I wasn't ahead of my time. You know, I'm at the right time. You know, people just kind of caught up to me. And I think of, and I, and I knew um, uh, people like Goose Tatum and those guys. And uh, I, I'm always just, and I kind of joked about a little earlier and introducing you about a lot of the, the young NBA guys and being ungrateful. I, I, I think that's a little, that's a little um, strong. But I, I think, I wish a lot of guys would look you know look at people like metal like lemon and and maybe study a little bit about um who he was and where he came from and just the mental toughness that people his age maybe chris maybe may been your grandfather but people of that generation who had to just eat a lot of crow and but oh, you yeah. but you still had to persevere i mean you just couldn't give up <laughs> you know you, you you just had to this these are the cards that we're dealt um, you know, some people get in, some people don't. And to me, that's the more fascinating thing about a guy like Meadowlark Lemon or, or guys who just persevered so that you, you could now enjoy the NBA as it as it is. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, that, that's the biggest thing, I think, when, when you see guys that, that live to be as old as, as he was. And um, a lot of things that they, in a way that they, like you said, eat a lot of crow and, and took a lot of the, the the toughest portions of our nation's history, especially when you think about the timing. He might not have complained about the timing, but uh, now you have guys that really don't have to complain about the timing at all because they, you know, even if you look at earlier generations, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, uh, what was it that Magic Johnson made? It was a, the 25-year contract that he got at one point that everybody was wondering. That's crazy. And now you look at how much he was making during that, and compared to what someone like Anthony Davis just got, it was $145 million over the five years. And so right. I, I think Magic's contract was, was $25 million over 25 years. And so just the way we think about things differently and how, you know, you have guys that need to think about how poor Metal Arc Lemon was when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have guys that will not necessarily have to struggle through certain parts of that in the contracts and just how many people are allowed in now and the fact that there are no quotas anymore uh, and the fact that it's a majority black league and well, there are no quotas. There are no quotas on the court. There are quotas in the front, in the front office. Oh yeah, no, no doubt about that. We still have a long ways to go in terms of that. A lot of uh, we, we, we definitely see the disparity there. And, and I know Howard Beck even wrote a piece lately, right. even down to the coaching now and how few black yeah. coaches there are as, as compared to maybe ten or fifteen years ago. But uh, in terms of the players, it's something that we don't even really have to think about anymore. And it tells you, um, you know, a lot of the struggles that. You know the players. The, the types of struggles that the players today have are, are not even comparable to uh, to what there was before. And and guys kind of paved the way 
to make it that way and to, to make it where that can be kind of an afterthought now. So yeah. um, he deserves a, a lot of credit. And, you know, even for me and, you know, my generation uh, reading up on who he was and, you know, to not be forgotten for that reason. Yeah. Uh, Chris, where, where, now where were you uh, born? We, we, we're kind of bringing out our, our cheat sheet here. Where would you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, Chicago. I was oh, born in so, uh, so Texas. Grew up in Chicago during uh, essentially the Jordan era. I guess I was a kid when Jordan was really first on the scene. I was born in 86, so I think he was drafted a year or two before that. Well, look but, at uh, Wow, that's great. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm from Chicago, man. Now, are you from Chicago or are you from the suburbs? I'm from the suburbs. Oh, I'm, okay. there. Right. I'm from I'm from Baltimore. Okay. Uh, Not but, that that's but, bad, but <laughs> no, I, was no, born, I, I was born in the South Side, man. You ever been to Limbs Barbecue on 72nd and between Cottage Grove? You, and, you sure it's still there? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've I've not been there. No, no, I've been to a lot of different places in the city, but not there. Right. You said it's in Cottage Grove and no, it's in between. The 70s? It's on seventy uh, seventy nine or uh, seventy eighth between. Uh, it's almost like uh, what do you call it? What, what's the um, what's the uh, the movie? Um, uh, oh man, you know the with the uh, uh, with the guys go through the brick to get to their house. Uh, Damn. I don't know. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Anyway, no, it's, uh, it's, I'm sorry, man. It's like my first. Uh, um, but no, uh, but tell me, so you were born, what, what, what high school did you go to? I went to Homewood Flossmore High School, HF. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's funny, my girlfriend and I, who lives in Chicago, we, we were just having this conversation about how it's, it's completely fine to say you're from Chicago until you talk to someone who's actually from the city itself. Right. And then you have to, then they call you out on the suburb <laughs> thing immediately because she's from the city and I'm from the suburbs. So, but uh, I'm from HF and, and they, they've been in the news a decent amount. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I remember you were in a. Uh oh, you're breaking up a little bit. Championship game, I think, in 2004. Yeah. I'm sorry, 2008. And I went to high school with Julian Wright, who was in the NBA for a couple of years, and we lost we lost our state championship game to uh, to Sean Livingston, who's in the NBA right now. Okay, mm. I think by four points. But uh, mm. but yeah, but it, uh, we had a good basketball team for that for that time that I was in high school. But uh, but yeah, it's a South Suburban high school, and um, and I graduated in 2009 from there. Or, I'm sorry, 2005 from there. Right, now let's get it straight, man. <laughs> Can't get all the years straight now. Have now your, have your like bosses listening? Yeah, no, no, man. You know, we, you know, you know, we love you. It's all one big, uh, one big world. Um, but you know, growing up in Chicago, again, I, you know, I grew up on 78th and Calumet, uh, 97th and I went to Harlan, and we used to always like envy the suburban guys, man, because they had like, you know. We were like in handing me down equipment for Northwestern, and like oh, yeah. the suburban guys would be having four teams. You know, they have like freshman, pre freshman, sophomore, JV, varsity, and they just had like all this stuff, man. I mean, yeah. like, like, damn. And then, you know, and, and, and forget that the Catholic school. You know, the oh, Catholic school was just like yeah. St. Rita and Mount Carmel, and <laughs> I'm like, damn, man, what the hell am I doing in Harlan? You know? You know, yeah, but, I hear you. We uh, we had that. Uh, we 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 saw that firsthand whenever we would play teams like that, and we went. Uh, you know, the school that was really close to us that we kind of had that with was Marion Catholic. Mm. But um, you know, I had a good friend that, that played at St. Rita. He went to junior high with me, mm. but then got a scholarship to play at St. Rita. So I would always joke with him about that. We didn't. I mean, we did not have to struggle at all. HF was was <laughs> yeah. really well off, and even now they just you know the athletic department put a ton of money, mm. and the school put a ton of money into a new field house where they can essentially you know when the weather is bad like it, you know, it's finally starting to get there in Chicago now uh, with right. you know they have an in- indoor field house for baseball practice so that they really mm. can you know they can get swings in and they've got batting cages and the whole nine so they're not really losing anything mm. by having a practice indoor and, and so they've got they've got an Olympic class swimming pool so yeah I, I hear you and that was <laughs> that was that, that you know and that was one of the arguments you know I was, everyone always talked about the reasons that kids couldn't um, you know the kids couldn't you, you know there was that long stretch where teams from the city really never won state exactly. titles in basketball oh, man, in Chicago yeah. and, and yeah. people would always say oh well it's the street ball style that they play and there's no coaching and it's <laughs> like okay there may be some merit to that but at the same time you've also got a ton of you know facilities that you can make use of and nicer facilities and all sorts of other stuff 
that you can make use of when you've got that kind of money and you've got equipment and you've got probably a training staff that you can use with these kids. And so, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that kind of goes unlooked at when, when you talk about those sorts of advantages that right. suburban schools and particularly the Catholic schools had over city well, schools. Well, you know, you know think, I mean, racism never outs itself. It's always, yeah. you know, it's always other things other than the obvious advantages <laughs> of white right. entitlement, you know, but that's the whole thing. But even liberal-wise, you, know, you never call yourself out, you know. But, Absolutely. Yeah, but, but I mean, even saying that, um, it's amazing when you and we we were talking about metal like lemon, but invariably these those kind of discussions about metal like lemon re- lead to this, right? You know, what I mean, exactly. that's a beautiful thing about about history, particularly when you study Black history, which is another version of American history. You know, people say, well, you know, you don't have to really be a militant. All you got to do is study our history, and it just leads you to these kinds of conversations. I mean, it's really easy. But you know, what's amazing though is when you look at the number of of people that that Chicago turned out. Who came oh from the city? You know, I mean, oh despite my goodness, yeah. despite not having the indoor facilities, despite not having the practice field. I mean, you know, we were practicing the snow. Now, I do not want to get to be like my my high school coach, who played at Phillips. And man, you know, Mr. Howard, Mr. Howard played at Phillips. I uh, was my high school coach in Ireland. Coach Banks uh, was my coach at Morgan. And these cats would always tell us. Almost what I'm about to tell you, Chris. Hell, I used to walk. I used to play in the snow. I had to walk five <laughs> miles. Blah 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 blah. And you guys, said we we you know whenever we were getting ready to play at school like Inglewood, and, and my my father taught at Dusable for like oh, okay. decades, you know. And I used to go there. And I mean, Dusable man, they turned out some of the greatest jazz musicians between Chicago, Phillips, Inglewood, and and again, you know, without having a whole bunch of stuff. You know, yeah. um, you, you just kind of made it, and and you know, oh, you know, you guys, you know, we're playing Phillips. You guys drink your cookies and milk, and you watch your color TVs, and <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. I was like, Coach, I don't have, I don't have a color TV. <laughs> but, yeah. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play it. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Chris. How'd you? I mean, how'd you get into this business? I mean, you clearly you went to home with Florida. You could have done. You could have been a nuclear physicist or something. How'd you get into this business? <laughs> well, you, I guarantee how'd you, choose you I could this? have been a nuclear physicist because my math and science were nothing to, to write home about. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I so the uh, home with Flossmore has um, a newspaper there. I think it was maybe once a month that we would publish a newspaper there on a newspaper staff. And that was by far my favorite class um, in high school. I remember falling in love with it. You know, my best friend Marcus um, took the journalism class. It was basically like a two-part class. You had to take it for a year. And then once you took it for a year, if the teacher liked you and you did good enough work, the second year you could be on the newspaper staff. And um, so... He, he came home from school one day and was telling me about how much he loved the class, and I immediately got jealous because it sounded so cool. Mm. And so, um, you know, he didn't even stick with it after that first year. He just took it the one year. I took it the first year. And I remember, I think I had homework assignments in four or five different classes that night. And I, I'm pretty sure I just skipped my homework for the other classes. I just did all, I spent all night working on my story or, you know, um, you know, just writing about something that was interesting to me and talking to a couple of people from the school around it to be able to quote them. Worked on it that whole night, came in the next day and was like the first one to hand it in because I was so proud of it. Mm. My teacher could see how much work I put into it. And, um, and so she actually, we had a trip to uh, San Diego that they were taking for some journalism conference. And the newspaper staff got to go because I was still in the first year and I hadn't officially made the newspaper staff yet like all the second-year kids did, I think someone dropped out of that trip, and so it left an open spot. And my journalism teacher asked me, she was like, I know you're only first year. Uh, you know, you still have another year you're supposed to do before you can be on the staff, but would you like to come with us? Because you, you're showing the initiative, and I know that you're hungry for this, and that you really enjoy it, so I'd like you to come with us. And I was, you know, over the moon about that. And so I went on that trip and wrote for the school newspaper. The next year I covered sports. Mm. Um, and because I played, I didn't play varsity basketball at HF, but I played the first couple of years okay. at HF on the uh, freshman team, the sophomore team. Those are credentials. And so I, was, I was friends with all the people that had made the team. And I played baseball, so I was friends with all those guys. 
Um, you know, and so I guess that's kind of an ethical line now where, you know, if you play in the NBA, you're probably not going to write for the Wall Street Journal <laughs> about the NBA. But at the time, you know, I knew all those guys. And so they, you know, they would tell me stuff about the team and the direction it was headed in. And I knew the coach really well. and He's comfortable talking to me. Hmm. Um, but that was how I started. And then I got to Michigan, the University of Michigan. And the first day I set foot on campus, you know, a good week before school started my freshman year. I walked into the newspaper offices, and I remember I came in with my whole resume, and I came in with newspaper clips, and they looked at me, and they said, you don't need all that, man. Like, you know, you just come in and write a story, and uh, that was why I chose to go to Michigan in part, because I knew they had a daily newspaper. Mm. I'd seen they had people that had won Pulitzer Prizes from there before. Uh, I went to Missouri and took a visit, and it sounded like you kind of had to wait your turn a little bit because of how prestigious the journalism program was. so, uh, But I knew from the minute that you know that I took journalism as a high school student that I wanted to do it for a career, and I, I got an internship at, um, I guess, kind of with the Tribune Company in Chicago uh, for a summer. I had an internship with a plane dealer in Cleveland for a summer. I did freelance work with the Detroit Free Press and covered Michigan football for a year or two, and uh, eventually I ended up with an internship at the Wall Street Journal mm. in the middle of the recession as soon as I finished school at Michigan. And um, they they gave me an internship to cover law, which I knew nothing oh, about. Okay. Um, but eventually I spent maybe two years covering law for them after they hired me. And um, the sports editor, uh, you'd hate, probably hate that I'm admitting this on a podcast, but he seems to have a liking for, for kids that go to Michigan because he went to Michigan himself. Uh, hey, one or two of our editors went to Michigan. Lesson, so he lesson, kind of lesson made, number one. <laughs> yeah, that matters. I mean, sometimes it matters. You know, sometimes people looking out for, for folks that, you know, went to the same school that they did. But he, he kind of engineered a trade for me once I was at the Journal. He basically swapped one of his sports staffers and traded her to the news section and moved me into the sports section from the news section. And um, and so I covered the Jets for a year uh, once I was on the sports staff. And then J-E-T-S. have covered, have covered J-E-T-S. the Knicks for this year makes my fourth season covering the Knicks. So, But I'm, I'm in love with writing. Uh, I love talking to people and reporting. Um, I really like numbers. So maybe I could have been a nuclear physicist eventually. <laughs> I wouldn't have made a good one at first. But I've really kind of fallen in love with numbers and how they can kind of tell a story or at least help you uncover stories or find stories more easily um, through sports and statistics. And um, and so I've, I've loved every minute of it so far. I really have. Oh, that's great, man. Here's another number. It's one black reporter at the New York Times sports staff. So maybe you'd yeah. to kind of look at it, do an engineer trade and get you over there. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll yeah. get you. Let's see, the deputy editor, who's a brother, is from Rutgers. Uh, the sports editor is from uh, Missouri so maybe we could engineer a trade and somehow uh, get you over Matt I, anyway, I, you know you're the GM now huh? you're the GM <laughs> you're gonna get somebody far, in trouble far, far from <laughs> <Yeah>. who but <laughs> I can't get wait um, <laughs> that, I think that, that, that was uh, I think that was the feel good part of the interview yeah, that's right but, that's um, right. <laughs> but you all you know you cover the Knicks for the Wall Street Journal so we're gonna that's change right. the tone a little bit right. I think da, da, um, da, da, da. no I mean the, the Knicks have looked good you know, Wait, I guess could, relatively. Could you admit speaking. your credentials? You are a Knicks. Fan. I mean, I used to be. A, I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah, okay. like my. You know, but then right. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. So when the Nets put Brooklyn on their chest, I got a root for the Nets, even though that's been tough this year. I hear that. But um, I mean, the Knicks. Uh, they lost to Boston last. They lost at Boston last night. I think that's mm-hmm. four straight losses. Um, they had won. They looked good prior to that. Um, you know, so wh- where do you think they are now? And what are your thoughts on the Knicks? You know, that, that's – I literally, right before I talked to you guys, I talked to my editor, and um, I, I told him, you know, at some point we'll, we'll do a deeper analysis of the team. I feel like they're probably overdue for that right now in terms of me writing something and kind of exploring why they have trouble and why they've had trouble at times this year. But just on a larger note, I, I went through and was curious about this. I was like, it, it feels like the Knicks have these ups and downs more than anybody. And I looked at it, and over the last five years now, five-plus years, they've had 13 stretches where they've either won three games or more in a row and then immediately lost three games or more in a row. And um, Or if they've lost three or more in a row and then won three or more immediately after that, that streak where they have a skid then. And so part of it, you know, I, I think part of us – part of this we could see coming before uh, you know they had just finished a part of their schedule they, they played Philly twice in, in a 10 or 11 day span and they played a couple other weak opponents uh, where they played Minnesota and teams like that and now they're in the midst of an 11 game stretch where every single team they play has a 500 record or better and so this is kind of a test for them to show you know obviously they made big improvements over the summer 
Kristaps Porzingis is better than any, any of us imagined he'd be this early. Um, but now I think you're starting to see them kind of run into reality where they've got to play the Bulls and they've got to play the Spurs and, and they've got to play Boston, who's got a really good defense. And, um, you know, so they run into tough scheduling. Um, but part of it, too, I think, is that as you play those better teams, some of your flaws become magnified. And, and by far the biggest issue on this team is that I think they've just got in a league where you've got so many athletic players and so much athletic talent. They just don't have guys that can make those sorts of plays, particularly in the backcourt. They don't have enough playmakers. Uh, you've got Jose Calderon, who, who bless his heart, is one of the best. <laughs> you say that, bless his heart. Well, you know something bad is coming after that. Right. Bless, his heart, uh, <laughs> bless his heart. He can shoot, you know, right. shoot the seams off the basketball, but just is really not uh, someone. I mean, he, he's not a threat in the pick and roll, and, and, and really the pick and roll is not. A really emphasized part of the triangle. It's de-emphasized, if anything, compared to the rest of the league. And so he can't get into the lane. Langston Galloway, um, you know, has shown to be a, a much better shooter this year than he was last year. But he's really not going to, to, you know, get into the lane time and time again. Jaron Grant, the rookie, is probably the best guard they have at being able to do that. But he doesn't have enough of a jump shot to really force people to come out and guard him. And so teams just kind of sink into the paint and dare him to shoot jump shots and uh, seal off the rim so that he's not able to get there. And then Carmelo is coming off major knee surgery, but he's, he hasn't been someone that is getting to the basket every play in a long time either. Um, and you should, he, see, you frankly, should see Jamal's face, man. I mean, just, the list just keeps going on and on and I know. on. But that's, I know. No, no, I mean, keep going, can, keep you, going, keep going, man. Keep going. You, Don't stop. Keep going. You, you can go on and on about the, the issues in this offense. And, I mean, it's, it's an offense that really seems set up to – take mid-range jump shots in, in an era where you've got the Warriors and the Spurs and all these teams that will just really kill you from the three-point line if, if you can move the ball well and quickly and have a threat to be able to get to the rim to, to free up guys around the perimeter. And the Knicks just don't – that's not the emphasis of their offense, nor do they have the athletes to really change the emphasis of their offense to get into the paint more frequently. So they try to do it through posting up and through getting screens and, and mid-range jumpers. And, it's, you know, I, I don't think it would be a huge problem if you had Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant caliber talent, you know, in their prime. Let me just stop you right there, man. To me, that's it in a nutshell. I, 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 I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. Mean, I've been at the time for 34 years now, something like that. And so, like my, my football coach, you know, Coach Bates used to always say, don't try to sell me the pumpkin because I brought it to town. And so that's what I think with Phil Jackson. Now they're selling you this whole body thing, the triangle. Remember, you, you, I don't know how much, I don't want to, you know, how much. You, I said, wait a minute, man. Am I missing something? You talk about the triangle. You've had four of the greatest players in the history of the NBA in this offense. You've had, you've had Jordan and Pippen. Then you had Kobe and Shaq. That's why that offense worked. Now, maybe you could school me, Chris. When did the triangle offense work effectively in the NBA? Just take Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and take Kobe and Shaq out of it. Now, who ran the triangle and won NBA championships? Yeah, you don't have a long list there. <laughs> now, is there, what, is there a list of what? what I will say, you have, you have teams that, and I mean, I think this does get downplayed quite a bit, but I mean, the triangle, plenty of teams use aspects of it mm-hmm. now, and that includes the Warriors, that includes the Spurs, and, right. and Steve Kerr has given paid homage to that, but that's the difference, is that I think, A, they, they do have so, so much athletic talent. You look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you look at uh, right. Steph and Clay and Draymond Green and these guys that do fit a lot of what the NBA is doing now where they allow you to play big or small and they give you a lot of passers and a lot of guys that can shoot from wherever they are. But um, that's the thing is that they are using elements of it. They're not using the whole thing. And that's what I think Phil, he even acknowledged when he did, uh, I think it was an interview with the New York Times and he basically said, I think he was talking to Harvey uh, from from the Times, Mm -hmm. he basically said, I, I still think this can work. And, you know, I know we, we kind of fell flat on our faces the first year, but I'm still kind of out on some level to prove that this can work. And, and so for better or worse, I do think that he wants to prove that. Uh, but what I think the, one of the biggest challenges with it is, whether you have Jordan or Kobe or Shaq or Pippen or not, I, I do think we're past the point where you, you can't do it with a John Paxson, B.J. Armstrong type of guard and, and I think Calderon and Langston Galloway are, you know maybe not to a T fit that but 
you know, I think Paxson and, and Calderon are both top five all time and assist to turnover, and they both are really good shooters. And you look at B.J. Armstrong and the way he handled the ball and kind of being a behind-the-perimeter threat and Langston Galloway kind of being that same thing and being a decent defender. They're the same types of players, and I think we're past the point. Now, you need a guy that can create his own shot and get into the paint. You can't just have a guy that is a spot-up shooter and a relatively good passer be your triangle point guard. You need someone that can be a threat to create and free up shots for other people. And the Knicks are still kind of stuck with the same sort of ideology in terms of what they think their point guard should be in today's uh, today's NBA, and I don't think that works. And and so that's that to me. I, I I'm pretty close to being able to say that I think the triangle has too many flaws to work the way they they want to use it. But I would like to see them have a, an NBA caliber, an athletic type point guard to be able to run the show for them before I write it off completely. I, I do think they're flaws, but. I, you know, I, I think there are major issues with it, but I do think that a point guard would help make some of it look better than it does. Maybe not championship caliber, but better than it looks right now. Well, you bring up you bring up the personnel, and what I took from from the Knicks' moves over the summer, it was almost like they were catering to. And I and I don't, I have no problem with this really that they were catering to uh, Carmelo Anthony's game. They got a bunch of role players, unselfish guys who who do the dirty work, and it was almost like you know, okay, let's see how well, let's see what Melo really can do here. But I mean, you brought up earlier also his injury. So is it maybe you know? Obviously, I don't think he's uh, Carmelo is full strength now. Is it? Do you think once he gets his legs completely underneath him that this could be a better team, or do you or do you really just see it as you know the triangle or point or point guard issues? Be, be honest. Don't listen. I know it's New Year's, but just you know, let's tell the truth. Let's be realistic here. I, I, I don't even think it's an issue of whether. Uh, I mean, there are numbers to suggest that. Uh, when Carmelo plays well, that they that they're going to win. Uh, I, I think Jared Dubin, a really good writer, he he pointed out that when they shoot, when he shoots forty percent or better from the field, that they've essentially won fifty five, sixty percent of their games over the last four or five years. And when he doesn't, that they you know it, it drops like thirty five percent winning percentage. So that's a major factor in it. Um, but to be honest, Carmelo hadn't been playing that poorly lately. He'd actually done pretty well. I, I think. Uh, you look at like his last ten games, eight, nine, ten games. He's shot the ball pretty well. Uh, he shot the ball um, better than fifty percent over that span, and so that's not that hasn't been the issue. But I, I do think right now you're looking at a team that is good enough to beat the teams that it should. And quite frankly, when you look at last year, the biggest difference is the defense. That you, you know they're the kind of team that you really don't feel comfortable going into the paint against because they've got. You know, two guys that are almost 15 feet tall when you combine their heights. Right. Um, they've got a bad perimeter defense. The Flawless lost a half step. Calderon's not quick. Um, you know, Melo has played a lot better than I expected defensively. He's come off really well from the surgery from that perspective. But I think it's really they have no depth in the backcourt. Uh, they don't really even have starting caliber players in their backcourt a lot of times. And, um, you know, their front court is a bit top-heavy. And I think if you needed to be – heavy set in one spot in today's NBA. You need more wings than you do big men. And um, so it's awkward because I think Carmelo is really dominant sometimes as a power forward, but now they have Porzingis at power forward. And Porzingis could probably be dominant at times at center and force you to play uh, a really difficult scheme defensively if you put him at center and Carmelo at power forward. Yeah, I like but that. But they, so, they have so many big players that you really can't use that alignment as much as you probably would want to. So I, I think that they're you know, I think I, I don't think this is a playoff team. Uh, part of it is not their fault. I think the East has just gotten better. Right. But uh, long term, I mean, I think they need to be looking at how they get more wing players on this roster and um, and whether they can really go get an impact player at that position. And people keep telling me, oh, they need to get Mike Conley. He'd be perfect, and he would. But you know, I, I, on some level, I think that would be a little bit of a mistake to give him max money or close to it when you get a 30 or 31 year old guy and the future of the team is clearly Porzingis, you know, it, 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 may, it would make me question what you're aiming for. I know they want to leave this window open for Carmelo uh, because of how old he is and the fact that he's, he's kind of weathered a lot of this stuff over the last few years, but you don't want to see them, 
you know, prioritize the now when they, they probably would be, be better served trying to prioritize the future and maximize the future. Right, and Conley is not going to win you a championship next year. Just that one addition. So I don't, I agree well, with who, you there. Who is? I mean, that's well, I, mean, I, I don't know that anybody is. Right, yeah, yeah. Like Durant, but I don't <laughs> right. think that, you know, I don't see that many guys like that out there. And even if you did get, why would Durant come to a situation where Melo is there? Right. And, you know, again, like, unless you're going to play Durant at the three, Melo at the four, Porzingis at the five, yeah, no. which you're, you're not probably going to do that. I don't even know if they have enough money for Durant at the moment, <laughs> unless certain guys opt out. But like Bill said, I don't, you know, and, and that's, to me, if I had to pinpoint one issue, you know, not using the word Isaiah, uh, over the last <laughs> 10 years, that oh, has God. been the downfall of the team. I think it's that they've too frequently acted like they were one piece away from a title right. when they were really two or three steps from a title, two or three players removed from one. And, you know, the Tyson Chandler move was indicative of that, where you wave Chauncey Billups almost immediately after having given him an extension, and then you amnesty him, uh, you know, that, and then not having the amnesty to use on Amari. Um, they, they've too often made moves like that where they they make it seem as if they're right on the cusp of a title and they really needed one or two other big moves to be able to pull off and so i don't want to see them fall into that same trap again where granted conley is a very good player he's one of my favorite point guards in the league he's unselfish he defends he can shoot uh so he would fit everything they need but i I just wonder if if you give him max money and you've got carmelo at near max money for the next four years or whatever it's three years um you, you essentially are locking yourself into mediocrity, maybe being good for a year or two, but then mediocrity for the rest of their, their contracts when you're trying to develop uh, Porzingis. And I just don't know that that makes the most sense. But we'll, we'll see what they do. I'm really curious to see how they handle it. Uh, my guest uh, has been the great Chris Herring, the uh, uh, NBA and New York Knicks columnist and writer, reporter for the Wall Street Journal who's just completely depressed Jamal Murphy here and all Knicks fans because what he's basically <laughs> saying is that there's no hope. I mean, that's, that's what he's saying. There's no hope. Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's no, in, term, in Jamal, terms of this there, year or no, next year. Ne- the year after that, the year after that. The year, and then Przingis will be, uh, give me, you know what, the season, Przingis is going to get good. Something's going to happen. He's either going to get hurt oh, come or on. he's going to be somewhere else and he will he will develop into this megastar somewhere else. But if he's here, somewhere if he's here, it's not going to be. He's not. I'm, I'm telling you, Jamal. That's a, that's a, it's not going to happen here. That's a defeatist here. Uh, attitude, Bill. <laughs> that, that ain't my job. I'm just being realistic, Chris. Am I being realistic or am I just making it up? Am I making it up? Well, well, I'll put it both ways. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from at this point. And, I mean, I tell I, me where I the have, hope is. Tell me where you see hope. Porzingis. Well, the hope is that they even landed him in the first place, and he's looked as good as he has now. Uh, the, the hope is that he. The Jets he have is. more hope. The Jets have more hope than, <laughs> oh, the, than the Knicks. The Jets have more hope than the Knicks. Well, yeah. Oh man, Porzingis, Porzingis himself. I mean, he he already is giving fans hope that they've ended the dysfunction. And quite frankly, I, what I came away impressed with, I didn't think that the Knicks would be a playoff team based on what they did over the summer. But I did laud Phil Jackson in one regard. I said it looks like he's normalizing this team. Mm-hmm. The Knicks over the last seven, eight years have had, I think, a, a total of 99 players suit up and play for them over that span, which is more than any other team in the NBA wow. by, like, mm-hmm. almost 10 players. Wow. Like, the next closest team, I think, is Boston, and they've had 90, 90 players over the same span. The Knicks have had 99, which is the most in the league. Mm-hmm. So, Phil went out and got players that are role players, but truth be told, they they didn't have a real shot at any of the max guys because they're coming off a 17-win season. The best player on the team is coming off major surgery. They drafted someone who, at the time, people weren't sure how long it was going to take them to pan out. There was no reason for anyone to join the Knicks other than the Knicks overpaying them. And the Knicks in the past have done that all the time where they're willing to overpay for someone who might be out of his prime, who might be injury-prone, who was a star once before but not anymore. And so the fact that he stayed away from that, stayed away from that strategy, and instead said, let's just get guys that, are, that have the sorts of attitudes where they work hard, where they're good team guys, um, where they're, you know, they're, they may be good enough to start, maybe not, but they're, they're going to play hard. They're going to keep us in most games. They're going to make us competitive. So I like that. Um, and the fact that they got Porzingis, who seems about as unselfish as somebody can be. He's had multiple fourth quarters where he has 20, 25 points over the game and then doesn't even take a shot in the fourth quarter. He's right. probably too unselfish yeah, definitely. Uh, at this point in his career. I'd like to see him do a little bit more in those scenarios. But they have a guy that does all the right things. Um, who looks like he could develop into a star. Uh, without a question, looks like he could be a star. So I think the, the 
the notion is that, yeah, everything that can go wrong will go wrong because it's the Knicks. But the fact that they ended up with him in the first place and what makes him so different than like a Jeremy Lin flash of the pan sort of thing is that they have contractual control over this guy for the next, what should be the next seven years, you would think. And, um, you know, as long as they don't somehow mess this up and that they, well, they, make, they make the right steps developmentally. And I, I know that might be a big if because that's what, they they, that's really, what they're known for. They manufacture that. Yeah, they, and in some ways they do. I, I pointed out in the column the other day that they haven't re-signed a first-round pick since Charlie Ward. And so we go back to that. Charlie Ward was drafted, I think, when I was uh, eight years old, <laughs> and I'm twenty. I'm twenty nine now. So they have not they have not re-signed a first round pick to a multi year deal since Charlie Ward in 1999. So they they have just kind of pumped out draft picks and then let them go, traded them. Um, some of them have never come over to the league at all. Uh, as I'm sure a lot of people remember with Frederick Weiss. So there, there are reasons to believe it won't work, but this is the first time that they had a player that looked like he had this sort of potential as well. So there are obviously reasons to put more time and effort into this, to be more patient with him, and to try to surround him with the right sorts of guys. But, um, you know, there is a lot of reason for optimism regardless of how the season goes. I, I said all along, if they can get to anywhere near 35 wins, you know, coming off the disaster they had last year, I think that's a, a victory because it shows that they're at least headed in the right direction. And that's just with relatively average talent around Carmelo. And so maybe you do take a big swing for the fence next summer. I'm not sure who you'd land that makes that big of a difference. But if you can do it, maybe you go for it as long as that player is young enough to still fit within the window of both Carmelo and, and Porzingis and trying not trying to – not trying to make it all happen and max somebody out with a Conley or a 33-year-old guy, but someone who's young enough that he fits within both of those time spans. Hey, Chris, uh, before I let you go, before you let us go, because we could do this forever, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter handle if people want to follow you? I mean, just I, I honestly, just listening to you talk about this stuff is very fascinating. It's so clear that, uh, that you've got a, a, a tremendous handle on this. Uh, but what's your, if people want to follow you, what's your Twitter handle? Well, thank you so much. Uh, my Twitter handle is Herring, WSJ, my, my last name, H-E-R-R-I-N-G, WSJ, uh, on Twitter. And, and my final thing is, um, give, give me give me a, 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 your, your snapshot of, of uh, Derek Fisher, uh, and uh, what do you think is the big story going into uh, 2016? NBA-wise. Um, NBA-wise. Well, I mean, shoot, anyway, man. Maybe it's, maybe it's the public athletic league in Chicago. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't limit people. We don't limit people on road, Bill Roden on sports. But no, but seriously, your snapshot on, on Derek and uh, what do you think is going to be the big story in, in the NBA in, in 2016? Sure. Uh, I, I think with Fisher specifically, um, I think the big story with him is part of what we're saying now. I don't think that he'll ever fully break from the triangle, but I do think if, if they continue to kind of dig themselves a hole against good teams and let's say they, they get out to this hot start and then they only end up with 30 wins for the year, which I think would be a little low. I, I had them at 31 coming into the season, but they, they seem to be better than that. Um, I do think he's going to have to take a serious look at the triangle, or if not that, at least a, a serious look at the point guard situation um, and, and how that impacts the triangle offense and whether it holds it back. Um, you know, Obviously, that would be a tough call for him because it's clearly what the team president wants and he played for the team president so I think you know he said to me before that you know it's my job to figure out what will work uh, whether it's a triangle or something else he kind of did some things at the beginning of the preseason that made it look like they're going to move in a different direction with that um, but it, it's largely the same offense that we saw before with just slight alterations so I think that's the big question with him is whether or not he's going to have the gall to start looking for new schemes and strategies for when they get too stagnant within their current offense. And and also, you know, how much time does Phil Jackson give him? I think he should be safe for right now because, I, you know, I didn't think this was a playoff team to begin with. They're still on pace to get 35 wins or so, which would be pretty decent after last year. But, you know, at some point, if they only finished the year with 30 wins after the decent start, the good start they had at 500, um, I do think that he'll, he'll be forced to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit and try to figure out what things they need to change within that offense. On a league-wide scale, I'm fascinated by what the Warriors are doing. Um, they're obviously on pace to, to break what the Bulls did in 95-96. Uh, whether they'll get there, you know, at some point, if they have a more major injury than what they've had with Harrison Barnes. Uh, but, you know, obviously, if they, if they can have a season with nine losses or less, that's a huge story. And uh, I think it would kind of make 
people pretty salty about last year and writing them off as simply lucky. But, um, you know, I, I think it would also, for once and for all, kind of put to rest the idea that jump shooting teams can't win. They're also much more than a jump shooting team. They're a top five defense. Steph Curry is, is as more efficient at the rim than he is from deep. And, you know, makes something like 65% of his shots at the rim and gets to the rim quite a bit. But uh, I think it would force people to kind of rethink, and it would raise the conversation of whether the Bulls were the greatest team of all time. If you have a team that, you know, finishes a game or two games better than they did and wins a title for a second straight year. But uh, I think that's a major, major story um, going into the, the second half of the year. Wow, that's great. Well, our guest has been the great Chris Herring, uh, NBA uh, reporter uh, and columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And listen, man, I'm looking forward to having you in the studio because this is really you've been you've been tremendous, man. Um, so promise us that you will be here. Promise. <laughs> I'll be there definitely, okay. definitely. If not in the next few weeks, and sometime after that, but I really appreciate. You all having me on and, and talking with you. I've never gotten to really sit and talk with Bill, so I appreciate the invite. But happy New Year to you both, and I look forward to seeing you in person. Same thing. And he's you a too. homeboy, too. I'll see you from Chicago, man, okay? you're from. He's from Chicago. All right. All right. Hey, peace, man. Peace and blessings to you and your family. Happy New Year. You too, sir. Take care. Take care. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Wow, what a great, uh, well, if you're a Jets fan, what a great afternoon of football. You know, first, uh, the Jets go and beat a New England Patriots team that they've just had their number for just decades, or at least a lot of years. They beat them in overtime, so Jamal, that's got to make you pretty happy, right? Yeah, I was a little, uh, I was pleasantly surprised that the Jets got the victory. You know, the, Jet, the Jets come around, you know, every, you know, four or five games they get them. <laughs> right, uh, but you know, of course, there, there wouldn't that it couldn't be a Jets in New England game if there wasn't something bizarre that happened. So I'm like, and this takes me back to I remember when I was first started watching football. They had the AFL, American Football League, and there was a championship game, an AFL championship game between the Dallas Texans and I forget who they were playing, but it was like muddy and all that. It was a great game, so it had to go into overtime, you know, and so. Abner Haynes, the great Abner Haynes was running back. So, and that, this one they had the, the, the thing mic'd up and all that. And so, you know, this was going to be a tough of sudden death. And sudden death back then was real sudden death. In other words, first person scored, it was over. Right. So you had to take the ball. And it was muddy and the wind was blowing. I'm like watching this game in black and white, of course. And so, finally, the, the I think the Dallas Texans won the toss. Dallas Texans won the toss. Uh, Abner Haynes, what would you do? Will kick. <laughs> and they were just like, yeah, kick? What are you talking about? And they think they're playing like the San Diego Chargers who average like 300 points a game. You know, and they kick. And of course, I think they may have lost. And I just remember after the game, they asked the coach, what happened there? The coach said, Abner Haynes made a mistake. <laughs> but the way he said it, he didn't say it like, he didn't like that. Abner Haynes made a mistake. And it was just so stupid. Anyway, so fast forward to December 25th. Yeah, I mean, d- December 2015. So, of course, the game goes into overtime, and I'm thinking in my head, I know how this game's going to go. New England's going to win the toss. Brady is going to doop, 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 doop. Touchdown, Jets went, Jets lose, in the season. That's what I thought, too. So, yeah, as, as a Jets fan. as a Jets. So, of course, New England wins the toss. I'm like, well, that's it. I'm like taking my headphones off. <laughs> that's it. We'd like to thank you, thank our spotters. So, of course, what would you do? We'll kick. I'm like, what? <laughs> we'll kick. So now, of course, all kinds of things going through. Well, to me, that confirms it. That's why I throw this game. Because uh. they knew that Pittsburgh already, I mean, well, some kind of way, they don't want to face Pittsburgh. Right? They don't want to face Pittsburgh. They'd rather see the Jets. They'd rather Pittsburgh. see the Jets than Pittsburgh. Well, why'd they wait so long the whole game to throw yeah. it, though? Why did they score in that last drive and, and break all break, the Jets fans' I, I, hearts? I, I, listen, it kind of breaks down the conspiracy theory. <laughs> but so, so they lost. So, so okay. So I'm now. I'm like, I can't wait to get downstairs to hear what this because, of course, the Jets take it and they look 
Ryan Fitzpatrick looked like Tom Brady. Right. Like, boom, 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 touchdown pass, Eric Deckard. He's been looking good, though. He's been looking great, I got to tell you. I yelled touchdown so loud, my two-month-old daughter started crying. I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Touchdown. I was like, oh, no. Are you a Jets fan? That's the way you raise them. I'm a Patriot hater, so. I'm I'm for the Jets. I'm a Raider fan, so I've been in purgatory for many years. That's tough. But at least the Raiders give you something. I mean. They're coming around. Yeah, yeah. Slowly. So, so I'm like, so let me dash downstairs to hear what Belichick has to say about this. So I wouldn't play a couple of games. So, so the, you know, the first question, the first question uh, was, um, you know, about the kick. So why did you elect a kick on the uh, coin toss overtime? We thought that was the best thing to do. And then after that animated answer, they asked him, well, what about that? There seemed to be confusion over the tone card, uh, the, the coin toss. Bill, what were your specific instructions to Matthew? Because it seemed like there was some confusion. There wasn't confusion. So that's Bill. So that's the animated Bill. Bill Belichick. That's the, that's the Belichick we know and love. That's right. That's the Belichick we know and love. Uh, unbelievable, yeah. but droll. <laughs> but he. But I'm like, how could you screw? But I, aside from conspiracy theory, because against uh, Philadelphia a couple weeks ago, he did some equally bizarre thing: onside kick. At, at like early in the game, I mean, like no reason. So I'm like, do you really think you could walk on water? I think or he does. He, I think he does think that. Or is he just trying to get Chip Kelly and Ty Bowles a play? I don't think. I, you know, we we only talk about the plays that don't work. I mean, he 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 always makes these these wild calls during the game that seem weird, and you know. Fortunately for him, they you know seventy five percent of the time they work. They work. I mean, yeah, and yeah. you know he's you know he, against New England, no, against uh, Indianapolis a few years ago, he made some ridiculous call and they oh, cost yeah, him and they yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this happens. He, to he him. didn't want to get. He didn't want to get Eli Manning. We'll get the Eli too. He didn't, we, Eli and the HGH accusations. Well, Peyton. I'm sorry. Ooh, sorry, Eli. You, you got <laughs> you, Eli's got Eli enough. Like that. He's got enough problems. Yeah, we know if, if Eli is taking something, he needs to stop. <laughs> um, no. So then we move over to the winning locker room, and Todd Bowles. Todd has developed a very interesting deadpan style. I mean, he doesn't. He's not like Belichick, but close. Kind of, kind of close. He doesn't give you a lot, you know. Um, so uh, let's listen to a little bit of Todd. I mean, they start off asking him um, just sort of. What he thought about what he thought about the win. Question from Kobe from Mark. Yeah. Todd, you you've always said after a victory you don't want to get too high, but you have to feel pretty good about the performance today and the way that you won the game. Yeah, it was a good win. Like I said, three of the last four weeks we've been fighting and winning some of these type of games. So to win one against a quality team like that at our place, it helps out. It, it did they they basically asked him just about what he thought about sort of a a, a, a state of the art. On the team, and it's kind of kind of, kind of interesting answer. No, we're still growing. I mean, we have a ways to go. I'm not saying we've arrived. We won the game. We hadn't arrived yet. We still hadn't gotten in the playoffs yet. We got things to do next week, and we got things to clean up. But they fight. They're gritty. They got character, and they learn how to play together. And that's the biggest thing that we're doing right now. And, and then, of course, you know, because we make so much such, such a big deal about them beating the Patriots, somebody asked them, "Well, does this victory feel any better because you beat the hated?" Uh, Patriots, just what he said. Uh, it doesn't feel any different. We've been in survival mode the past couple weeks right now, so just beating them because they're the king of the hill right now just gives us one victory. We still got to go to Buffalo next week and win, but it feels good to win a tough, gritty game against a good football team. And when, you know, so, so interesting, they asked him what he thought about as soon as they saw, uh, as soon as he saw Decker score the touchdown pass. This is pretty funny. This is what he said. It's about damn time. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm happy. I was happy for the guys. They put in a lot of work all week, you know, and to see them fight out and get a victory this time, you know, it was good, good to see. We got high drama uh, next week. Oh, man. Now, this is, this is the NFL. This is what the NFL loves. You've got, you've got all these. you got Chan Gailey, the Jets offensive coordinator who used to play for, who's just a coach. In Buffalo, Ryan Fitzpatrick spent four years as a quarterback in Buffalo, and of course, <laughs> Rex Ryan, the head coach of uh, the Buffalo Bills, soon I think to be the ex. Wow, coach. this soon? 
I think so. I doesn't get a year. I, nah, I think they saw. I think they realized it doesn't get any better than this. I think they realized they screwed <laughs> Weird up. How the, the defense got worse and the offense got better. Yeah, yeah. that was very strange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, maybe because of Tyree Hill, they'll give him up. But if the Jets come in there and have him blow them out, I don't see that one. So it's on the line. <laughs> oh, I don't see I, that. I think, I think this I think, game, this game, could determine whether he stays or goes. I, I, I think so. I know a lot of wow. people are saying. I think a lot of people say no. You know, but I think sometimes you know when you made a mistake. It's their Super Bowl. Huh? Yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, and well, it's they, they, they gave him multiple years now. It wasn't a one-year deal. Yeah. They gave him some money. They, you know, they got to give him. They uh, have to give him another the first, year. It won't be the first time they've done that's, that. I mean, that's yeah. true. But I mean, yeah. I, I just think. You got to give them two years at least. No, that may be that's, that's, that, that gives you high drama. The playoffs, yeah. the playoffs are on the line. Yeah. Like it's ex coach. Right. right. All they do, all they've got to do to spoil the Jets. See now, I thought, I thought before the game, I thought that there was a chance that Baltimore could beat um, Pittsburgh. Right. I just, some reason, I just thought it. that's division one of those games. games. Yeah, division, and they, that's just such a it's ugly rivalry. That's their, that's their Super Bowl, that's their Super Bowl. Right. and it's in Baltimore. Everybody's crab caked up. You know, <laughs> Ryan Mallett has something to prove too. He had something to prove, and he did. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, you and, know. Pitt, and Pittsburgh's known to you know not show up a game here or there. Not that's a, their mo. It's the wrong timing, though. I know, but it's terrible. And, it's, and in Baltimore, I mean, that's a great stadium. And Baltimore, I mean, you know, I went to school there and worked. I mean, I like Baltimore a lot. But I, so I didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility. Then I said, okay, this is what could happen if they're the same old Jets. The Jets beat. New England. Right. That's not. We, we talked about this last week. We said we this. Did? Yeah. Okay. Did, Go ahead. Oh, we did. Oh, play. We got to play those clips <laughs> so people know. I'm Bill Road on sports. Yeah. We said the 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 most Jets scenario <laughs> would be for the Jets to win this game against New England, for Pittsburgh to lose <laughs> to Baltimore. And then for the Jets to go to Buffalo and lose, and lose. so this will be say it, the same old Jets, right? <laughs> That's right. Will this be the same old Jets? I'll be there. Right. I'll, I'll be down in Miami. Now this was bizarre. We're talking to Chris Herring about this. I'll be in in Miami for the Clemson Oklahoma game. Right. Be New back Year's here, uh, and then go to Buffalo Whoa. for yeah. the Buffalo Jets game. And I'm like thinking, do I? Bring a really heavy coat. I, I, I haven't seen what the is it going to be like. I mean, it, there's oh, yeah. a part of me Buffalo, that you have to. Yeah, but if you're going, just going straight to Buffalo right, from Miami. To Buffalo. Yeah, that's rough. Ooh. But it, what's isn't Buffalo? Like, are they, cold. It's cold. It's cold. But with the snow, I want there to be snow. Probably, I want it to be like 12, 12 feet of snow. Well, it's possible. Yeah, they'll clean it off the field though. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get a little, you know. But they, but in Buffalo, they've got that to a science. I mean, they right. know how to do that stuff. Uh, but yeah, so Jamal, how do you feel about all this, man? I mean, this is your team. Uh, have they, they? Have they? In your lifetime, what's the best they've done? Uh, they, you know, they've they've made a couple uh, AFC Championship games. I think Parcells got them there. Uh, Rex Ryan oh, right. got okay. them there that, that, with that, uh, with Sanchez. I think it was a rookie Sanchez at and that two time. Years. Parcells had Testaverde. Right. Yeah, Parcells right. had Testaverde. Right. They, that was probably the closest they came because I think they were actually winning that game against De- at Denver. Um, right. You know, going into halftime or something like that. So, you know, I've had my hopes up, um, but. I'm only giving them about a 50-50 chance oh, to, to go on, into ah, into Buffalo and win this on, game. Man, they got to win this game. We, they got to win this remember, game. Remember, Buffalo beat them at, in the Meadowlands earlier. That's different. Better I think. team now. They're a better team now. I mean, bu- Buffalo's not a bad team. No. They're, 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 they're solid. They're, they're, they're coached by Rex Ryan. Right. Uh, but you see the, the matchup? Like, Buffalo's stronger on offense than defense, and that kind of matches up well for the Jets. Right. Jets hey. have a good defense and a better offense right. you know, against their bad defense. I, you know, I see, I see a very close game, very high drama. Hopefully the Jets come out on top. We'll see. Oh, oh by the way, <laughs> I got you something uh, – I got you something, Jamal. Uh-oh. Uh, let's try to bribe you because I was late. <laughs> I, I, not so much a bribe, but appreciation well, because you... Because you were late? Uh, there should be something there for me. Uh, actually, you're right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, you can give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Not, I, have, I, have a, I got something else for you, Seth. <laughs> Which what I will fix for you. I have to air. But see, this is like, this is a white towel. With, with every, everyone's signature on it. That's yeah. pretty cool. I was actually you thinking think, about... Keep, tweet that out. Take a picture of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was actually yeah. thinking about... Keeping this for the kids for my rec program. I said no. Yeah, no. I'll give it to Jamal. That's wow. much, much that makes Jamal feel idea. bad about taking it. Much yeah. better for idea. the kids of Harlem. <laughs> you know, in our rec program, the kids will be fine. <laughs> Don't no. worry about them. Here you go, Jamal. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Throwing in the towel. I'm gonna cry. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, this is you know, it's, this, it's almost like it was written, right? Mm-hmm. This 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 ending 
Rex Ryan, we know he's going to treat this as his Super Bowl. He treated the first game like like a Super Bowl, so I don't know what he's going to do. Imagine this week for the New York media, what it's going to be like. It's always oh. an advantage for the losing team the second time they play to make the adjustments. Yeah, true. Because look what look what happened to to Cam Newton and and uh, and Carolina. Your boy, they went. But I, th- in trouble. I think this is going to be oh, a bigger. About, uh, oh, <laughs> Cam, they're in trouble. Uh, man. Uh, they could be. <laughs> Although it's better that they lost. Fourteen to one. Look out for look out for the Cardinals. They are. Cardinals Bowl. look good. Cardinals yeah. going to Super Bowl. But, but you've been uh, anti Panthers all year, so oh, I that's just right. That's right. I, I what is it? What is it? What's the story, man? Why are you anti Panthers? I think they're a really good team. I just didn't think they were as an undefeated good team. I didn't think they were that good. Well, they, and look at who they, they didn't have the competition either. Well, but they just beat it's not their fault. They just beat that. Now listen, they're playing at Atlanta. They just beaten them two weeks ago by like thirty something points. Thirty eight nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. So I no, mean, they're a really good team. They have a shot at the Super Bowl, but I think I think the Cardinals are their most complete team right now. It could be. Yeah. Who's, but now, who's the MVP? Do you still think this put a, 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 a I damper? Oh, I mean, yeah. on on Cam. Let's say. Let's say. Let's say. The, uh, nah, he still deserves it. Yeah. yeah especially if they win else. the next game. Yeah. If they win the next game. They have the best record in the league. He, he deserves it as yeah. much as anyone else. Yeah. yeah. He makes it happen on the on the ground and in there. So. Okay. That's good, Seth. You're coming around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got calm uh, like I see him, Bill. That's all I can do. <laughs> and we get in this segment. Uh, Boy, I, 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 oh, I think that I think that the. This game for the Jets is mm. going to be tougher than that Patriots game they just won. And you got to no, go I, into I, Baltimore. Yeah, every, yeah. Every, you know what's on the line. You win. You're in the playoffs. The Bills know what's on the line. Rex Ryan knows what's on the line. He's going to pull out everything. In it should his, be awesome. It's going to be. It's going to be great. a great game. A yeah. great game. I hope it's a one o'clock game. It's a one o'clock game Sunday at Buffalo. Oh, good. Um, I have time to write to really write. Those four o'clock games are just you know killers. <laughs> our deadline. Um, what, 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 what do you think about though what uh, that Belichick's decision? We you didn't, you didn't tell us what you thought. Nuts! No, I thought it was nuts. I mean, I thought it was nuts. But again, why would you? I'm thinking conspiracies. Or what, now, what what is there something else going on here? Uh, maybe he maybe uh, he figures his offense is not that good. And they've been scoring. Well, they yeah, they had just gone down and scored. Yeah, I, it didn't make sense. I to don't me. get it. I don't get it. But I mean, so, so, the rumor on social media is that actually he sent out Steve Harvey. To, uh, to, to pick uh, which, which way it went, oh I wasn't I wasn't able to confirm or deny that. That, that was kind of funny. Uh, last thing, uh, what do you think about the, there? There's a unsubstantiated report from Al Jazeera about the Peyton Manning and some others on uh, HGH. Right. Um, this is a whole other segment. I just don't want to show, but but just your 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 initial thoughts. And it's, yeah, it's not just from Al Jazeera. I don't think. I think Huffington Post. Well, they took it up. Right. They, they Al Jazeera showed them. Oh, okay. The footage of stuff they had, and and Huffington Post ran. Yeah, I, I haven't seen. You know, I mean, anytime in today's day and age with sports, anytime, you know, PDs or you know all this kind of stuff comes out. I mean, history tells us that most of the time it it turns out to be some there's some truth to it. It is Peyton Manning, so it is kind of shocking. Um, he's he's known to be a stand-up guy, but we've seen this in the past in baseball. It doesn't really matter. I need to see more evidence. I've heard people, you know, vouching for Peyton Manning, saying, "Oh, well, the guy who came out with this story has has said it's not true. Said he he wasn't telling the truth." No, I didn't hear that no, side no, of the story no, no. yet. It was it was the it was the they they had a uh, somebody with a uh, secret recorder recording this guy. And the guy has since he told them names. Now, if, if all this blew up like this, now he's backtracking. Oh, really? He's backtracking, but he said it. He says on. He's, he's got it on thing. I guess my my busy thought. And again, this is a much longer segment. But that the, the NFL. I mean, again, you're you're innocent before proof. But the NFL has been skating with this whole her, her human growth hormone. They've been skating on this. Oh. Baseball to its. I mean, baseball was infected from top to bottom with a. Uh, uh, PEDs and the owners knew it. Everybody knew it, uh, and, and, but I think the NFL man has and the NBA for that matter has really dodged this kind of bullet. It's not been an issue. So um, I, yeah. this could be. I mean, if it comes out that Peyton Manning is innocent, then he's innocent. And but he, he responded to it on camera uh, before the game. So did Rafael Palmero. Remember? And I'm, not, I'm not saying I bought it or not. I mean, I just I he responded. Not. He he you know he looked very upset. He's an actor, man. <laughs> he's an actor. Remember, he's doing all these commercials. What's he going to say? They no, got not, me. He, there's nothing you can say, right? You know, so. and 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 the story is that the HGH was sent 
uh, in his wife's name to his to their house. How dumb can you be? Who do you really think that's going to work? Oh wow, it's not it's his wife. Oh, that, yeah, I a mean, a lot of plastic surgery going on. Yeah, why, why do people think they're going to get away with it? Anyway, listen. Um, Let's uh, wish everybody a very happy, on that note, let's wish everybody a, a tremendous 2016, that your 2016 will be better than 2015. And 2015 was pretty damn good. So, good. you know, wishing, uh, you know, Jamal's been great working with you in 2015. Been tremendous working with you, yeah, of so Seth, been great working with you, even though you did kind of jilt us for, uh. but you're back. <laughs> but you're back. the core thing is that you're back. Just want to throw us out. You pull me back in. You pull back in, and, and, and thanks for being a real pro, teaching us about this. is a, This is new for us. Happy and, New Year, guys. So it's been great happy working new with year. you. And, My pleasure. You know, working, getting more and more people. So anyway, Happy New Year, everybody. Peace and much love. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.